Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we are exploring the journey of Dr. Brian Banks, an assistant professor of history at Columbus State University in Columbus, Georgia, and co-founder of the online journal, Age of Revolutions. On the previous two episodes, we met Brian and heard his stories about teaching and studying history from below as a means of relating historical study to his students' lives and amplifying voices that may have been previously muted or silenced. Also, we heard Brian's stories about helping students relate and apply history to contemporary experiences and contexts. Today, we round out Brian's narrative as it stands now with a conversation about leveraging podcasting as a teaching and learning approach and the development of our Pedagogies of Podcasting website. We will start with Brian sharing his story of developing podcasting pedagogy and integrating podcasting into his teaching and course designing. When did you land on podcasting as an approach to teaching? And and for those listening, I'm not talking about just Brian curating podcasts for them to listen to, although I'm sure you might do that as well, like I do in my courses, but for the students to actually produce audio recorded podcasts as a form of coursework and constructing meaning around history, when did you begin to do that in your work? Yeah, so on a kind of philosophical level. I like the idea of, of podcasting in the classroom because it it quite literally forces the students to voice themselves, right? right. To seize their own voice and to show that they've they've learned some kind of skill over the course of the class, right? Um, I also, I think, originally naively assumed that you know students were coming out of a digital age; they were digital natives or something. Even though I hate that phrase, yeah. and that they might be able to produce podcasts with skills that they already had, whereas producing you know a six-page essay with Chicago Manual of Style might not not resonate with them in the same way. I quickly, uh, you know, had that illusion dispelled. Uh, you know, I, I was working with lower income people at an institution in, in New York, uh, a college in New York, and um, the students had a hard time getting into it. I think explaining it as a form of public speaking that is recorded and listened to after the fact helped a lot of the students wrap their minds around it. I think on some level, too, it it. Uh, is both a source of anxiety and comfort for a lot of students. Uh, Anxiety in that they know others will listen to it and they might not know how many, but comfort in that they don't have to be the one standing in front of somebody else with a tie delivering a prefabricated script or something. Right. Um, And more than anything else, so I did this the first semester and it was a semester of failure. The, The podcast the students produced were not very engaging. The students had a hard time articulating their basic points, but it was a learning experience for them and for me. And so the next time I came around, I was faced with the choice of, well, how am I going to make this work? Am I going to place even more restrictions on these students or am I going to open it up and allow them to have more agency and authority on the process? Um, and I'd like to think that I was sage enough at that moment in my career to, to choose the latter. Uh, right. That giving students more agency and authority actually brought more color into what they produced. Uh, it increased intrinsic motivation, I think, with the students in, you know, not across the board, but with enough of them to improve the overall quality of the podcast that they produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and that intrinsic motivation then, you know, um, cycled its way into uh different research avenues for the students. 
And then also, you know, the production of the thing, uh, the, the series at the end of it. When I did this in New York, we had a college radio station. And so we actually just played them on the radio station and kept them very localized. I don't think we ever actually put those podcasts online. So they're not real podcasts. They're just kind of radio broadcasts, radio segments or something. Um, The last one I did in New York, we put some of them online. Um, and so it really started to cement itself around this, this, this kind of podcast approach, I guess, or became more technically a, a podcast here at CSU. I've, I've done this a bunch of times. I did it my first semester and I've done it repeatedly and I'm teaching a whole class now on history podcasting for students. And I, I like it and I've stuck with it for the same reasons. I think it helps students find their voices. Uh, I help, I think it helps to increase their sense of agency in the classroom uh, it allows them to choose subject matters that they uh, they identify with, which again, right, in, in increases that intrinsic motivation. Students get to work with groups and work in groups in ways that aren't naturally going to lean towards the you know the worst group situation that everybody fears. The one student who does all the work and everybody takes credit doesn't really work in a podcast no. uh, world as well, uh, especially if you're expecting people to voice themselves on a podcast you can't have a voice if somebody else has done all the work for you um and yeah the students have managed to produce some pretty interesting things and explore different stuff but even you know now i'm still tinkering uh, every semester and adjusting to try to get students to to buy into the process a little bit more yeah i have the same thing where there's that initial reticence of oh i have to record myself but then you you break it down to what it actually is. And like you said, I think they find their voice and find some agency. Yeah. And for me, it's more about telling their story and how it relates to their, their development of pedagogy. Um, mm-hmm. what, I, what I wanted to ask to see if your experience was similar to mine. So when I've done this in the past with my students, kind of the, the assignment I just explained, they, it's all, I liken that process to engaging in in a very specific discourse. In my case, it's the discourse of education and the pedagogy. And I often find that that discourse is very rich when we're talking about and planning the podcast. And then the end result is just kind of a byproduct of that reflection and that work. For you, is it that the discourse of is it of telling history is it of synthesizing and constructing new understanding from history or like what does that discourse of history kind of look and feel like for them when they're podcasting because i think that's i was interested if your experience was similar to mine or different yeah i i think it's pretty similar and the and I don't know of an easy way to get around it, to be honest. Right, if, right. If not to just record constantly to be able to show that kind of linear change rather than just have a reflection of all the work that you've done to date. Right. Um, and I do a little bit of that. I, I do at the beginning of the semester, you know, it's not a pre-reflection because they already know what subject they're going to be looking at researching over the course of the semester. They know the basic mm-hmm. uh, elements of it. Um, but I'll ask them some some general questions. And, and then what I tend to do is chop up those general bits, kind of smack them together in, in the earlier episode or use those those preconceptions as transitions between segments in the episodes themselves mm-hmm. um, to, to guide the listener on. At least theoretically, that's what we would do. Um, yeah, I, 
I think the the dynamic that you're you're talking about though is often why the final product comes out a little bit staler than what the process might be, right? Like that that process of exploration and planning of, of organizing is often yeah. very dynamic. And then the day that they have to actually record it is is where all the stakes seem to feel for the students, mm-hmm. and that's where they get all clammy or they start like tapping on the desk, right? <laughs> As you're trying to record sound. For the listener, that was me tapping on the desk um, right. nervously. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's. Uh, I don't even know if I'm complaining about that part of it either. I just, it would be interesting sometimes to push record when I'm talking through those stories with them. Like some of them shared when we talked about kind of where they're at in terms of feeling like a scientist as someone who's going to then impart the skills and the dispositions of and attitudes of being a scientist and an inquiring mind in the sciences. And they'll tell me the most heartbreaking stories that they had experienced when they were students themselves. And I wish that sometimes that could be captured because it's almost more powerful than what comes out, but it, maybe it's not the recording that needs to be important, but that process of um, reflection, like I said, and self-realization and knowing, well, no, I don't want my students to feel like I felt, and this is what I'm going to do to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I don't think I ever, I teach this at the the 1000 level now. Right. But I've taught it at the other ones and it's never been, you know, the, the purpose of the podcast has never been to, to convince the students that they are now historians. Right. But rather they're becoming better accustomed to the story's toolbox or something. Okay. I think the real changes that I see are more identity based than anything else. They're realizing that they're critical thinkers, that they have access to knowledge, um, that that they realize that that was unrealized for them. Um, but also, uh, and this comes out of the fact that it's a it's an audio medium here. Uh, it's remarkable to see students come forward with their concerns over their own voice, like almost mm-hmm. literally their own voice. Yeah. I, I grew up in Georgia. People always tell me I don't really have a Southern accent. And I always tell them this heartbreaking anecdote of when I was in fifth grade and my fifth grade teacher told me I sounded stupid. Um, and I remember that moment. I remember consciously trying to to change the way that I, I speak mm-hmm. because of that. And so now in the classroom, when I have a student who speaks in a fairly heavy Southern accent, I make a point of it to, to say, oh, your voice sounds great on this audio, right? It adds so much color and flavor and authenticity to the story we're trying to tell. Like, you should own that. Or mm-hmm. I have a student this semester who is uh, is from a I forget, Guatemala, maybe. She speaks with a very heavy Hispanic accent. Um, And I made the point there, too, right? Like, I know English is your second language, but the way you are speaking is is enjoyable. It's adding context, flavor, and all kinds of things to this, this audio setup that will inevitably attract more people to this message to help spread the education that we're trying to, to spread here. That's the story awesome. we're trying to spread. Um, but I mean, the flip side of that, too, is, is sometimes these students have 
generic voices if something like that even exists and they're just not confident so getting to hear them go from a place of where they lack confidence to one where they have confidence in their own voices i think one of the most empowering experiences about podcasting yeah i i really like that and i like that you it's a very natural transition point to what i wanted to talk about next because we on the resource we've developed um some of the, I guess, challenges and approaches we're promoting are around identity, assuming an identity and owning your voice and things like that. And so I'm glad you brought that up. I think if you're talking about it in terms of being um, a professor of history and I'm talking about it in terms of being a professor of elementary education, there's probably some some overlap there in terms of the value of the approach or the teach of using pedagogy. I can't talk this afternoon. Let me try again using podcasting as a teaching approach. So if you wouldn't mind, Brian, um, could you just briefly kind of give the overview of what we've developed? And this is going to release around the same time that the website's launching. So you can talk about it in like present tense if you want to yeah. as a resource that's finalized. Yeah. Yeah. So we're releasing a website with lots of cool resources. Um, is it pedagogy of podcasting or pedagogies of podcasting? I, um, we, right I don't know second. if we've finalized it yet, but uh, <laughs> it's one of those two and it'll be in the episode description, whatever it ends awesome. up being. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> well, pop they, though they, is the acronym. That's the important yeah. part. Yes. Pop as the acronym. And I, I think the, the thing that's resonating with me most about this project which I don't think I fully grasped when we you know, put in the application to do it in the first place is that podcasting is not about the end product, but it's about the process. I've realized that more just in this conversation today. Yeah. It's really um, kind of, uh, I think I knew it, but I didn't, but it kind of crystallized today. I don't, I, now I'm thinking about all the conversations I've had with people about podcasting as pedagogy. And the reason people don't want to do it is because they think the final product won't be worth sharing. Right. I've done this so many times in so many semesters, the product has not been worthy of sharing or, you know, students have asked me not to release it because they're not comfortable with the level of quality they managed to produce. Mm -hmm. But what I'll say as a counter to that oftentimes, and again, I'm internalizing it as an educator now, um, is that the students always in the evaluations talk about how enjoyable the process of producing the podcast was, even if they're not happy with the outcome. That they got to think about history in terms that might have more contemporary relevance. They enjoyed right. that. That they're learning a skill that is transferable throughout their education, regardless of subject matter. They're really enthusiastic about that. That they managed to have a positive group work experience, uh, knowing that when they enter the quote unquote real world, they're going to have to work in groups. They're positive about that. Right. So, as our website is called, Pedagogy of Podcasting. Pedagogies of podcasting. See what I did there. <laughs> Paused for editing purposes. There you go. Um, <laughs> I'm probably going to leave that in because it was entertaining. But go ahead. Yeah, go it's <laughs> but it's the first word there is pedagogy, right. whether it's plural or singular, and and it's not podcasts because it's about the teaching. It's not necessarily about the product of the podcast. Right. 
And then obviously you can do all kinds of things with that audio that don't necessarily mean that it's a podcast as in downloadable online. You can put it on your local radio stations. You can use it for in-class educate, educational purposes. Right. I've done that in the past where I'll have students in one class talk about something and I'll play it in the other one and have them respond to it. Yeah, I've so archived some stuff too that subsequent sections are going to listen to. Yeah. Students have given that permission ahead of time. and Yeah. All of the interviews that I that we recorded for the Refugees podcast, which is linked to on the, the web resource page that is launching now, um, I keep and I use when I teach about refugees uh, with my with my classes now. Um, and getting to hear their voices is much more impactful than me talking about their experience. Yeah. Right. Um, and I tell that to the students too. like people will hear their voices relaying the story and it's going to hit different than if I was me or if they were just reading it in a, you know, Atlanta Journal Constitution article or something. Uh, that That's what that was a big inspiration for me to pursue it in terms of what I'm doing now, recording this and producing my own, but also using it as a teaching approach, because when I got done defending my dissertation research, one of the things my committee said to me was, you've got to find a way because my my dissertation topic was about digital pedagogy and how that develops narratively. And they're like, you've got to find a way to share this with people on a practitioner level. That's not so esoteric that it's only just in an academic journal that, you know, offense or no offense to academic journals, not a, it doesn't have the highest readership sometimes or the highest impact to make change. And so they're like, well, what have you thought of any ways? And I hadn't at the time, but then later on, I started doing this. And I think hopefully for students, that can be a form of that as well. It's just kind of pushing conversations forward within a certain discourse, whether that's history, whether that's education, things like that. The tension between narrative and analytical history is very similar <laughs> to what you're talking about. Right? Yeah. Narrative histories will reach public audiences much better than analytical ones, but analytical ones are the only ones that journals tend to publish. Mm-hmm. Analytical historians tend to hate the narrative approach because it oversimplifies cause and effect, because it tends to you know, create a cast of characters that uh, you know, lift some people up and then face erase other people. Uh, and so being able to find a balance there is, is the struggle that historians are always pursuing. It's part of the reason why you know, my dissertation turned book is very analytical, but the book that I'm working on now is, is very narrative driven. It's about people's stories of light yeah. and exile and, you know, from persecution. It's interesting um, that you talk about that tension because I felt the same way when I was writing, when I, I, I published, I've submitted for publication another narrative research piece about pedagogy since I've gotten here. And you have to spend a lot of time in the method section, kind of defending why narratives are an authentic way of sharing the way people perceive their experiences whether it's in history or whether it's in a career of teaching and developing pedagogy. So I I can relate to what you're saying because there's a lot of critics of narrative research and education as well. And you have to kind of liken that to how we perceive our experiences narrative. Like when you talk about like a challenge you had, you you tell the story, you don't analyze it with numbers necessarily. You take, Oh, here's this one time this happened to me and this is how it shapes what I do now. That's what this whole conversation today has been about, about you. So yeah, um, yeah, to kind of bring it back to the website we've we've developed that's launching in January 
of uh, 2022, um, more or less. I don't know if we've landed on an official date, but that's, I know that's when we're going to share it with our faculty here at CSU, at least. Um, we have, so you wrote a, a really nice overview of the history of podcasting. It's a kind of, you tell me, it, it's kind of like situating podcasting as a medium and then kind of what we're trying to use it as more or less. Um, we have uh, teaching challenges that we propose with some kind of research backing them. That's um, very much in the format of uh, Wesh's Anthro 101 website promoting anthropology, but ours is about podcasting as a teaching approach. What else do we have on there? We have some like tech resources for getting started without having to spend money. Right. Um, yep. Um, there are a lot of free resources out there and, and most kind of technology people have access to can already do the work of recording podcasts. Yeah. Uh, even if it doesn't produce the best audio quality, people right. have the access to it. We also have, you know, links to uh, educational resources um, that uh, that are podcasting specific. I'm not sure if you said that one already. We have links to podcasts that, that professors here at CSU have produced, including Aaron and myself. But we should probably have some more on there by launch date, if not sooner. Yeah, there will be student work. I, I know of at least one other member of our faculty and teacher ed that's using podcasting and has agreed to share. I, we're hoping initially at least that our space can be a space where students can and faculty can publish podcast work so that there's a home for it or a hub for it and yeah but i like this idea that it's a hub and it's organic right, right? i mean it can grow it can change in response to how people interact with it and that's great and if it's student driven um that that's even better because developing a website for all of this stuff is is the praxis, right? It's, right? it's just like how, you know, podcasting is our pedagogy here. We're focusing on the pedagogy. I think the web development is in some ways should be that too. Right. Our Pedagogies of Podcasting website officially launched today, and we invite faculty and instructors in higher education and all educators to explore this space, utilize the provided resources, and share the work you are doing in podcasting. The URL and social media information for Pedagogies of Podcasting is included in the episode description for your convenience. I want to thank Brian for sharing his stories of teaching on this podcast. You can follow Brian on Twitter at BrianBanksPhD. That's at B-R-Y-A-N-B-A-N-K-S-P-H-D. Next week, we will explore the narrative of Willie McKeel. Willie is a remote sensing program manager for TACARO, a professional pilot instructor, and an associate professor of aviation at Minnesota State University, Mankato. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.